Welcome to Stork Storytime Talks with the North Liberty Library. Are you expecting or thinking of starting a family? If so, this podcast is for you. Delivering literacy one topic at a time. This episode is sponsored by Mercy Iowa City. We invite you to like and subscribe to our Talks podcast wherever you listen. I'm Jen. February is American Heart Month, and according to the Pediatric Congenital Heart Association, 1 in 100 newborns are born with a congenital heart defect, or CHD. Some defects are diagnosed during pregnancy, while others are not detected until after birth or even later as a child or adult. With us today is Monica Rannells, who is going to talk about her heart warrior son, Wyatt. Thanks so much for being willing to share your family's story. Yes, thanks for having me. Can you share with our listeners what is a heart warrior? For us, a heart warrior is somebody who fights each and every day to overcome that congenital heart defect. For some of them, their heart warrior story ends sooner than others. And for some, their fight is visible on the outside. And for some, they fight it on the inside. Um, So that heart warrior is just anybody who really is fighting to overcome that defect that they were born with. How does Wyatt's heart warrior story begin? He is our third child, third out of four. And when I went in for our prenatal screening at 12 weeks, um, we opted for some testing and they found um, a problem. And really they couldn't tell us anything more than that other than there's just, there's a problem and it's a pretty big one. Um, We were sent to Iowa City, to the University of Iowa, um, to follow up with a specialist there. And they followed closely, not really sure what the problem was yet because at 12 weeks, um, the baby is still so small, they can't really see everything. Um, So they sent us to the specialist where we were then followed every few weeks. And it was at 18 weeks that they were able to diagnose that there was something wrong with his heart. He was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Um, which sitting there as um, an expecting mom was a really big term, and it was really a scary term. Um, Basically what that meant was that the left side of his heart really was not developed, and it would not develop. Um, So while pregnant, everything would be okay, um, but after he was born was when the fight would start. So we knew that the pregnancy, I need to continue to follow with the University of Iowa. Um, I had to deliver there and we needed to do a planned C-section. So everybody was there, his team was ready to go. Um, I got to see him for a couple minutes when he was born. He, looking back, was very blue and purple. At the time, you know, we didn't really notice it. We were just happy to see him out and breathing. And we actually heard him cry, which we were told mm-hmm. probably wouldn't happen um, because it was so severe. And uh, dad, Jeremy, got to hold him for a little bit, for a few minutes. And then um, dad left me in the OR. Um, and went with Wyatt to the NICU where they ran um, lots of tests and started hooking him up to all of the medications and things that he needed. So typically a child born with um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome or HLHS, um, they need surgery within the first five days. Wyatt's was so severe though um, and they found other issues like with his aortic arch which is a very important part of your heart. His was very small Um, and narrow and so that along with other things that they found with his heart they just decided surgery was not in his best interest Um, and so that's when we then listed him at four days old for a heart transplant so he's put on the UNOS um, it's a national transplant registry list where he was um, listed as status 1a which is the highest 
um, that you can be listed. And that's really kind of where everything, you know, we were, we had one plan where we were expecting surgery um, because with HLHS, after that first surgery, then again, between three and four months, you typically have your second surgery. And then again, around age five. So we had this plan. We were ready to go. We, we were preparing it, preparing for it throughout all of pregnancy. Um, and then he was born and our world was just kind of rocked again and everything changed from there. <laughs> and while I was doing some research for this story, um, so that was a critical CHD mm-hmm. then. It was. Um, and that, um, if, I, if I know right, is um, needing surgery within the first year. So mm-hmm. people who have a critical CHD, um, congenital heart defect, yes. need that right away. So he yep. was termed as one mm-hmm. of okay. Yes, and typically it's found before birth. Not all cases are always found before birth. Um, you know, we have a, a good friend who had their baby, um, was born here at St. Luke's, and everything appeared to be okay until after birth. It was shortly thereafter that they started noticing some of the, the signs of CHD, um, took him in for further testing and found that, that it was missed prenatally. So that's why all the testing is really important after birth. And as we mentioned, CHD is a congenital heart defect. Mm-hmm. Did you want to share any more information or, or symptoms? You've probably become an yep. expert. Yep. Um, <laughs> the hardest thing, I think, for my husband and I to accept was that congenital heart defect happened before um, we even probably realized that we were pregnant. Um, that heart develops so early on for a fetus or an embryo, and so... Um, what happened happened before we realized we were pregnant and it was beyond our control because it's a congenital heart defect. That means it ha- is there from birth um, or before birth. And sometimes um, these CHDs, they show up from a genetic component that they find later on. Um, with Wyatt, that wasn't the case. It was just one of those things that happened. Um, so CHDs, again, are from before birth and really are beyond our control. And I think that's a, a common, again, I was looking at um, some of my research, um, and I said that stat earlier that one in four babies are born with mm-hmm. a heart defect. Um, yep, we always say why it's our one in 100. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so how, so did he have that surgery right away? He did not. So we were waiting for the surgeon to kind of make a decision. Um, there were a lot of people involved in his care, Um, And there was a lot of hushed conversations taking place while they were trying to figure it out. And we were really in the dark, not knowing what to expect. Um, We came in thinking surgery will happen. And then it was determined that um, the way it was presented to us was that, you know, putting him on bypass, which is required for the surgery, um, it's like flipping a coin. He may or may not ever come off. His heart function was much um, worse than what they thought. And they worried that by stopping his heart and putting him on bypass, it just might not start back up again. So that's why they decided that his best option would be listing for transplant and hoping that he remained stable enough. So at that time, because we did not do surgery, he had to be on a medication that um, made him a fuzzy, hairy bear from head to toe. Um, And medication was pretty experimental. It had been done in other countries for long-term usage, but not at the university. Um, and so he was one of the first ones to do that kind of a trial hope to cross our fingers hope for the best Um, and it worked you know we had a lot of bumps along the way Um, they learned a lot from Wyatt and they still 
you know, we go in for appointments and there'll be new residents that'll come in and they know his story because that's what they're learning. You know, he's a case that they study to, to learn more. Um, so, uh, did he have surgery then eventually? Yes, we did. Um, eventually he actually had multiple surgeries. Um, they did do something called a PA banding. It's where they, they did open him up and they, um, they, tried to band his pulmonary arteries to help keep him stable. Um, so that was the first surgery. And because of his weak heart and his poor blood flow and circulation, um, it was really hard for him to heal. His incision had to be stitched multiple times. And mm-hmm. um, he did have other smaller surgeries along the way too until um, at 94 days of waiting, he did get the call and received his heart transplant. Um, my husband and I were were in the room together, and I remember it was a just kind of a lazy, I guess, kind of day. You know, neither we we didn't cross paths much. My husband and I, we had two other kids at home, and so he was always there with the kids, and I was at the hospital. And then we would switch, and I would go home with the girls, and he would be home, you know, in the hospital with Wyatt. We just we didn't want to leave him alone, um, even though he was a baby, and maybe he wouldn't have known. But we felt better being there. We wanted to be there mm-hmm. with him at all times, and. Um, it was one of those moments where we were crossing paths and we were sitting and talking and, um, we were expecting other visitors. And so when they called into the room and they said, Hey, we just thought there's visitors coming, you know, and Mm -hmm. they said, actually your doctor's on the phone. And I remember my heart stopped because we had been told along the way, you know, this could be a three month wait. It could be a two month, two days, you know, it could be a year. We don't know how long it will take before a heart for his size and his blood type, um, that is a good heart comes along. Um, and so it's just really a long waiting game with so many unknowns. Um, and as we were sitting there, I, I picked up the phone and I remember his doctor just saying it, it worked. He said it worked this time. He was he had left the state to go on vacation and, and he got the call and had to turn around and come back because why I got the heart. And we always joked, you know, when he would go somewhere with his family that, oh, maybe you'll have to come home. Maybe you'll have to come home. And it really worked yeah. this time, you know, and and so um, he did. He turned around and he came home, and uh, and he did. He received his the perfect heart for him. Um, that's really that was the big the his big biggest surgery, um, and really the most important one that he's had. And we've done smaller surgeries for tubes and tonsils and and things that like that that you would do um, mm-hmm. with other babies. But that that heart surgery was a, a long twelve hour procedure. Um, that came with a lot of risks, but in the end really has been a great thing. The picture that we have linked to this podcast um, is one of him with some beads. Mm-hmm. Can you share what that, the significance of that? Yeah, that was actually his um, one-year photos. Uh, those beads are beads for bravery um, that, that kids in the hospital can, um, quote, earn for different things. Um, so each bead represents something that happened while he was in the hospital. Um, whether it's a, a lab draw or surgery, x-rays, echoes, um, all of the tests and procedures that had to happen, you can earn a bead for every one of those. And so that's his um, his long strand of beads. And that picture really doesn't even quite do it all justice. It's all um, wrapped around him and around his feet, which isn't even shown in the picture. Oh, but And he's laying on um, that shirt is his special shirt. When you receive an organ transplant at the University of Iowa, you have a special number and you get a shirt with your special number on it. And so that was his oh. his special shirt. So, And that's at the, is that the U of I Stead Family Children's yes. Hospital? Yes. Okay. 
And he was actually transplanted before it was the Stead Family okay. Children's Hospital. Um, so it was shortly after he, you know, was discharged and we were home and recovering that that they opened um, the new hospital. Okay. So what does the impact of having a child with CHD, how does that impact um, the family, the, the parents, the other family members? It's quite the impact. Uh, we had thought when Wyatt was born, our girls were, they were one and two at the time. And so we thought that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll forget about it. You know, this crazy, hard, stressful time, they'll forget about it. Um, I gave up teaching. I gave up my job so I could be home and take care of him. Um, and thankfully my husband has had a wonderfully supportive, um, employer, very flexible and has, um, really supported us through it. Again, we thought the girls would just kind of sail right through it with us. You know, it'd be crazy. It'd be kind of difficult, but we had a family member that was, um, staying with us at all times. And so she was kind of helping fill the gap where we, um, couldn't. But after he came home, we realized that that really wasn't the case. It affected them more than we even realized. You know, every time we would go back to the doctor for a checkup or labs or um, anything, um, our youngest our youngest daughter, she would often cry and ask, is Wyatt coming home? Like, are you coming home? Um, so there was a lot of fear and anxiety with taking him to appointments, and it took a long time to build her back up um, and help her understand that, you know, we have to go. These are appointments that have to happen. Even when we told our kids, you know, that we were pregnant with our last child, who's now a year old, it was initially excitement and joy. And, you know, this is so great. We're having a baby. And then um, that one who had all the anxiety broke down crying um, oh. because she she asked, you know, is it going to happen again? Are you going to have to stay at the hospital again with this baby, you know, like you did with Wyatt? And so it was, again, that reassuring, like, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And right now everything looks okay, but, you know, we just have to hope and pray and um, it's financially stressful. It's stressful in a marriage, um, you know, passing each other, you know, just seeing mm-hmm. each other in passing. There's not a whole lot of communication. And so it, it's hard to maintain that relationship. And um, once he came home, again, it was very stressful because when he was getting closer to discharge, I stayed at the hospital because we knew if my husband's going to work and I'm going to be home, then I need to know how to do, change things like his oh. feeding tube. Um, we thought he was coming home on blood thinners and would have to have daily injections and um, medications, all of these things that are super important and the signs and symptoms to watch for. Um, one of us had to be the master at it. And so that was me because I was going to be the one home all day, every day with him. And so um, then coming home and trying to you know, teach my husband the things that he might have missed while he wasn't there mm-hmm. um, is stressful. And watching for those signs and symptoms that something is wrong um, was scary and very um, emotional. Um, it's still five and a half years later, something that, you know, there's a lot of anxiety um, and stress and pressure and and things like that that just don't quite go away. <laughs> So it's been five years, five and a half mm-hmm. years since Awai has had his surgery. Um, what what does uh, what does his normal day today look like now? Is there mm-hmm. um, any special precautions, or how have you adjusted to to his no- new normal? 
Um, it's funny you say new normal. We just had an appointment a couple weeks ago, and the doctor asked, how are things going? And I and I said, you know, they're Wyatt normal, and it's great right now. Um, he takes medications twice a day, and he cannot eat for an hour before or an hour after. So there's always this two-hour window in the morning and at night where he cannot eat. And some days it's harder than others. He's five and a half years old. You know, he mm-hmm. sees his sisters eating. He'd like to eat. If we decide, you know, let's grab ice cream tonight, we have to make sure we plan it around his schedule because we want him to enjoy that with us. Um, so we do have that time commitment um, that we have to honor every day, twice a day, just to ensure that those medications are working properly to prevent things like rejection. Um, he goes to school. He goes to kindergarten right now, in, but he has to have his own separate you know, um, crayons and markers and box. There's no shared supplies for him because we worry okay. about germs. Okay. Um, kids with CHD and with transplant, you know, the common cold is not just a common cold. Um, we have a little buddy back in the hospital again for the third or fourth time mm-hmm. um, from a common cold, you know, but it just, it affects our kids so much harder. It takes a lot more out of them. Um, it's harder for them to bounce back. And so school was a hard decision. Uh, his team, his team of doctors thought, you know, it's okay. It's the right decision. But then me as a mom is still very paranoid because we've got all of these illnesses going around and, I can't find a bubble to put him in, and my husband won't let me put him in a bubble. Um, and so it's just, it's a scary thought sending him out into the world, you know, like that. And that's something other other families who don't directly have mm-hmm. have someone in that situation probably never even realize mm-hmm. um, that, oh, their child just has a little sniffle. <clears throat> it's okay, they can rest, they'll be better. Right. But, right. you know, sometimes you don't think of mm-hmm. the others who are impacted by that. Yes, and before Wyatt was born, I didn't fully understand that either. You know, I thought, well, they're healthy now. We, we mm-hmm. are following the guidelines of school, 24 hours, right. fever-free, whatever right. it is head back to school or you've got quite a cough, but you know, it doesn't, you know, it's okay. Head to school. Right. You're okay. That's You'll be okay. Exactly. Um, and maybe my child will be, but my other child will not. Um, mm-hmm. and so we've, we've definitely learned a lot about, about how, um, important it is to make sure we are not anywhere in public when we're not feeling well. Um, because it's not just about my children. It's about our community. You know, I think it's really important that there are so many kids and from the outside, you'd never know that why it's a heart kid. Um, unless you know what to look for, unless you see him without his shirt on and you see a scar or he talks about his heart because he's very proud of that, about his special heart, you know, and all the other heart warriors, you know, they're out and about, you know, living their life too. And you wouldn't realize that that child there is critical, you know, catching a cold could be a very serious thing for them. So, um, we try now to make sure that whatever we do, we're thinking of, you know, our community, not just what we want to go do, but what is best for everyone else, too. Do you have any advice for new or expecting parents or families who do receive a CHD diagnosis? I think the most important thing to remember is that um, a diagnosis does not define the child. Um, that diagnosis is scary. Um, it's overwhelming and it's terrifying, but there's a whole amazing community, um, heart families that are ready to welcome you into this um, this scary world together. You know, it's a it's not a world I ever thought I would join or ever plan to. Um, but now that I'm in it, I realize you know there's a a lot of support um, and resources for our families and for our children. Um, I also encourage you to 
to do your own research um, wisely. Um, you know, don't Google things because you're not going to get the best case scenarios, but talk to other people who are in the situation, talk to other doctors. Um, if you feel you need a second opinion, go get that second and third opinion um, because you need to be comfortable where where you are and where your child will be receiving care. Um, and stay strong. These kids are amazing. Um, you know, we had doctors who doubted why it would ever be able to do half of the things he's doing um, right now, uh, going to school and playing soccer and reading. I mean, he's actually reading books. And these are all things that they just thought with um, the diagnosis that he had been given, that, that those things would be out of reach for him and they're not. So um, don't let the diagnosis scare you away from all of the good times because there's, there's a whole lot of those. <laughs> That's some great advice. Before we end, would you mind sharing a favorite story time memory or book with us? Um, we have always read to our children while we were pregnant and then again after. Um, and with Wyatt, when he was born and in the hospital, um, all we could do was sit and read. Uh, it had to be quiet. You know, we didn't want too much stimulation for him. And, and so reading books to him was something that we could do to help comfort us and him at the same time. Um, and still today, one of the favorite books that was chosen by his sisters um, when they were one and two years old um, that we still read is I Love You, Stinky Face. Um, and he just he grabbed it and brought it in the other day and wanted to read it again. So that's one of our favorites. Um, but we, we definitely love to read. And he now is reading to his sisters, um, which is really great to see him now being that big brother role or little brother still kind of taking care of those big sisters. And he is a big brother, he isn't is. he? He is, yep. That's wonderful. <laughs> we have a beautiful family. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, for sharing your family's journey with us. This is the Stork Storytime Talks podcast from the North Liberty Library, and today we learned about congenital heart defects and heard the inspiring story of Wyatt, a heart warrior. Thanks again to our sponsor, Mercy, Iowa City.